This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. You are in fact cordially invited to join us for the next hour as we proceed to talk about the usual stuff here on Radio Parallax. There's been a sad monotony to some of the things we've talked about in recent weeks and months. And unfortunately, today's going to be no exception to that as we talk in our second segment with Elizabeth Orpina. She's the editor-in-chief at the California Aggie. And the last time we spoke with Elizabeth, things were looking pretty good for the future of the Aggie. But alas, they did not uh, go in the direction we might have hoped. We're going to talk a little bit about that in our second segment with some ideas about what may be done to rectify matters. We have a sneaking suspicion that today's show may be especially eclectic, and I can assure you that there is going to be some spillover into an all-internet show to be posted sometime in the next few days. But let us begin as we like to do each week with On This Date in History. Our date in question today is the 22nd of May. It was on May 22nd in 1455 in the English Wars of the Roses that the Duke of York's forces clashed with Henry VI Lancastrian army in the First Battle of St. Albans, 20 miles northwest of London. The king was defeated by his cousin, Richard of York, in this opening engagement of the 30-year Wars of the Roses, so named because roses of different colors were the badges of the opposing forces. Probably in our third segment today, we're going to have a word to say about the finding of the bones of Richard III, which is apparently a much more startlingly bizarre story than, than we had any idea. It was on May 22nd in 1849 that future U.S. President Abraham Lincoln received a patent for his idea for a floating dry dock. I'm not certain about this, but I believe that Abe Lincoln is our only president to hold a patent. Although we're going to have to look that up. Herbert Hoover was a pretty clever mining engineer. He must have a patent or two. Make a note of that, Mr. McMillan. Noted. May 22nd in 1900, the Associated Press was incorporated in New York. It's a nonprofit news cooperative. I didn't know that. And, of course, it's still in business today. And finally, on May 22nd in 1955, the popular radio program of American comedian Jack Benny went off the air for the last time after more than two decades. The TV version of the show ran from 1950 to 1965. Program starring Jack Benny with Mary Livingston, Tolaris, Rochester, Dennis Day, and yours truly, Don Wilson. I do want to note this correspondent is a huge fan of Jack Benny, both uh, on his TV show, but even more importantly, his radio work. He had a first-class team of writers and a wonderful ensemble to play off of, and he was famously generous to the people he uh, he worked with and, and letting them have some of the big laughs. And this does remind us that we're going to probably try and bring Greg Bell onto this program. He uh, he has that wonderful uh, old-time radio station on the Sirius Radio, uh, Radio Network, which on a daily basis revives some of the great radio dramas of the 30s, 40s, 50s, and even up to the early 60s. There's some wonderful stuff there, and if you, 
By chance, dear listener, I've never checked any of that out. I heartily recommend that you do so. Our quote of the day comes from the newly elected Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi. Mr. Modi had been widely criticized for years uh, for the fact that while he was leading the BJP in the state of Gujarat, there was quite a bit of violence against Muslims, which apparently he looked the other way on. The Week magazine, talking about this, noted that for years Modi himself refused to discuss those riots. But in 2013, as the election campaign began, he made a bizarre apology, which is our quote of the day. He tweeted, quote, I am truly sorry that so many puppies were run over while I was driving the car, which he later amended to by adding, even though I wasn't really driving, I was in the back seat. Narendra Modi, the new leader of the world's largest democracy. Our quip of the day comes from the bizarre rant of disgraced L.A. Clippers owner, owner Donald Sterling. Evidently, he went on CNN last week and made reference to the leaked recordings in which he ordered his girlfriend not to bring black men to Clippers games by saying, quote, I don't know why the girl had me say those things, unquote. Mr. McMillan? Yes, apparently after Sterling said about Magic Johnson that he uh, made love to every girl in every city in America and he has AIDS... Johnson replied by noting that he felt sad for the Clippers owner and that Sterling's estranged wife, Shelley, said she believes her husband is suffering from dementia. Our joke today comes from David Letterman, or at least his writers, <laughs> noted a couple nights ago, bad news, Red Lobster's going out of business. Here's how I found out. CBS had to move my retirement dinner to Olive Garden. Actually, we do want to note that we called for a boycott of Red Lobster many years ago on this program in the wake of news reporting about how they were getting all those lobster tails down in Central America, which meant uh, basically hiring poor people to scuba dive under atrocious conditions, which left a lot of them with cases of the bends and, uh, and serious injury, all for the sake of cheap lobster. We're not sorry that they're going out of business. Their fishing practices, as it were, were not sustainable. Did want to note catching a YouTube clip of um, Colbert on The Letterman Show explaining about why his top 10 list had failed, or at least had failed to get him a job with Letterman 17 years ago. And man, I'm sorry to see Dave go. I think he's leaving some shoes that will not be filled. In fact, I think in our second segment, we're going to go through some, some great moments from the late night with David Letterman top 10 lists. In fact, I think I will excerpt from Roman numeral two, book of top 10 lists uh, from The Letterman Show, which included top 10 punchlines to dirty jokes astronauts tell. Included among them, 30 seconds in holding, and please keep on holding. Also, heat shields. I thought you said Brooke Shields. Also, who do I look like? Buzz Aldrin? And <laughs> you call that mission control? Our anecdote of the day comes from an item from New Scientist magazine, which noted in its letters section that apparently the third man to play James Bond in the movies, Roger Moore, never uttered the words shaken, not stirred, because he didn't think he could do justice to the way the first Bond, Sean Connery, had delivered the line. The magazine noted that ironically, before his Bond days, while playing The Saint in the eponymous TV series, Moore did use the phrase... 
And I think we're going to include for our good news section of today's program the fact that uh, Rupert Murdoch, the evil media mogul, owner of News Corp., reportedly ended all relations with his longtime pal Tony Blair last year after discovering that uh, the former British prime minister had had multiple encounters with the media mogul's ex-wife, Wendy Dung, while they were still married. Murdoch, now 82, and his 44-year-old third wife finalized their divorce last December. Initial reports cited Dung's rumored affair with Google executive chairman Eric Schmidt as the cause for the split, but a source close to Murdoch later admitted that he finally decided to end the thing after hearing that Blair and Dung stayed overnight at his Los Angeles pad and had meetings in London and New York. Well, frankly, just couldn't happen to a nicer guy. All right, stats of the day. We have several. Apparently, the sales of gun silencers to U.S. civilians jumped 37% last year to nearly half a million, which is up from 360,000 in 2012. This is according to the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms and Explosives. CNN.com noted that devices are now so popular there's a currently a nine-month waiting period for the registration approval. The fact that you can actually own a silencer comes as news to this correspondent. I always thought the reasoning was the only reason you had to have a silent gun was to assassinate people. Well, I guess the NRA has really extended those Second Amendment rights into uh, silent firearms. we got to look into this one. Our second stat is that according to 538.com, about one-fifth of the U.S. households fall into what researchers call the wealthy hand-to-mouth, meaning that while they have significant wealth in the form of houses and retirement accounts, they lack liquid assets and are therefore living paycheck to paycheck. And according to Bloomberg Businessweek, around the world as poor people join the middle class, Meat eating is soaring, and so are the populations of farm animals. In 2012, the world's farms hosted 22 billion chickens, 1.5 billion cattle, and 966 million pigs. And you know, without much further ado, Mr. Mellon, let's jump into the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to The Week magazine, whom we have to thank for much of what's preceded this, it was a good week last week for false confidence with the news that a new YouGov poll found that only 4% of Americans think that they are less intelligent than the average person. So one in two people are, but only one in 25 persons thinks he or she is. I think we may have found an explanation for Fox News right here. It was, on the other hand, a bad week last week for safety tips, with news that Brazilian police have published a guide for visitors to next month's World Cup, instructing them not to scream if they are mugged so their robbery doesn't turn into a murder. Nice. And finally, it was a really ugly week last week for risk evaluation, with the news that Danielle Shea, 22, a former Quinnipiac University student, got arrested last week after calling in two bomb threats to the university in an attempt to cancel commencement ceremonies. 
Turns out that Shay dropped out of the university late last year without telling her family, but was still collecting thousands of dollars in tuition money from her mother. This returns us back to that idea of poor risk assessment, because apparently Shay called in the bomb threats after panicking that her family would discover she was not actually graduating. Evidently, the Boston Globe reported that uh, Hamden, Connecticut police and university police identified Shay by tracking the telephone number that was used to make the bomb threat. She reportedly was found in the area and arrested wearing a cap and gown that she had just purchased. Yeah, so it kind of turns out now that her family is aware of the fact that she wasn't a student anyway, and in addition, she's been charged with threatening in the first degree and falsely reporting an incident and is being held on $20,000 and is scheduled to appear in court on May 30th. Now, we don't often uh, use Facebook as a source in this program, but I do want to thank a friend of mine, Janice, for posting something on Facebook that I think is worth taking a look at because it's kind of interesting. The reprint from Slate.com showed a map of the U.S., including the most common spoken language other than English or Spanish. So, it's not English, it's not Spanish. What would be language number three? Well, while the world's number one language is Mandarin, it turns out that only New York State has what's listed as Chinese as its most common spoken language. I think the next most common language is Hindi-Urdu, not a single state. The United States has that as language number three. I'm pretty sure rounding up the top six is Arabic and Russian. And it turns out there are states that have both Russian and Arabic as language number three. Russian turns up in Oregon, and Arabic turns up in Michigan. Who knew? California shares its number three language with Nevada and Hawaii, and it would be Tagalog. Now, European languages, French turns up if you're in Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont, Connecticut, Delaware, Maryland, West Virginia, or either of the Carolinas, not to mention Mississippi or Louisiana. German turns up in the Rocky Mountain states in the Midwest. Vietnamese shows up in Oklahoma, Texas, and Washington state. Italian is the number three language if you're in Pennsylvania or New Jersey. And Polish makes an appearance in the list. If you live in Illinois, that's the number three language you're going to encounter. I found this to be a pretty fascinating list. Korean turns up in Virginia and Georgia. Navajo is the number three language spoken if you live in Arizona or New Mexico. Up in Alaska, it would be Yupik. In South Dakota, it would be Dakota. And Hmong turns up as the number three language in, of all places, Minnesota. Pretty interesting, don't you think? Another item we'd have to describe as interesting, although we probably would more accurately describe it as horrifying, is the news that a Turkish man got kicked off of a TV dating show after admitting on the air that, well, he had murdered his first wife during a jealous rage and, quote, accidentally, unquote, killed his next lover, quote, when I swung an axe, unquote. Yes, Sefer Kalanak, age 62, cheerfully admitted his violent history on a show called The Luck of the Draw, saying he'd served 14 years in jail for his crimes. Kalanak was asked to leave the show by a horrified host, but later told the newspaper that he hadn't given up his search for love. He said, I have changed. The woman who will marry me should not be afraid that I would kill her. Guess we could have made that our quote of the day. 
Because, because after all, every man wants to think that the woman who would marry him should not be afraid that he would kill her. And here's a follow-up story we talked about on this show some months ago that we need to do some more detailed uh, research on. But according to the Atlantic.com, cases of myopia or nearsightedness have rocketed as children around the world spend more time indoors staring at computer screens. Apparently one quarter of the world's population, 1.6 billion people, now has the condition. And experts are predicting that by the year 2020, one in three people will be nearsighted. We're going to have to bring back our ophthalmologist pal, Dr. Gary Aguilar, to sound off on this. We've talked in this program before about how I have a sneaking suspicion that all this time spent looking at computer screens is bad for our eyes. Well, looks like it's more than a suspicion. I do want to note, by way of follow-up, when I, when I mentioned a few weeks back on the program that I'm going to have to put a real light bulb, an LED bulb, or some sort of, quote, incandescent replacement, unquote, bulb, in, in my travel kit, so I'd have some way of reading when, when, when it went in a hotel room with one of those damn compact fluorescents. Well, I did so on my last road trip, and it worked out very satisfactorily. I don't care what anybody says, reading under a compact fluorescent light bulb, or probably under fluorescence in general, is, I think, a really bad idea. Of course, at least if you have enough wattage in a fluorescent light, you can, you can see these little CF bulbs they're putting in hotel rooms seem to have like about 15 watts. I don't know. But anyway, it only cost a few bucks, gave me a great deal of satisfaction, and I recommend, dear listener, that you do likewise. All right, some other follow-up items. We talked about uh, the increasing cost of a college education, which is considerable, but according to Slate.com, that price for a college education keeps climbing, but it still may be worth the cost for most people. According to a new study by the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco, the average U.S. college graduate can expect to earn some $800,000 more over a lifetime than the average high school graduate. Of course, we do have to question here at Radio Parallax uh, how they uh, compiled this study, given the fact that uh, at the present time, it appears the only jobs left in America are working in fast food joints and for the government. Speaking of money, according to the Washington Post, cash is king no longer. Hard currency is apparently disappearing from American wallets. Roughly 8 in 10 people say they carry less than $50 on a regular basis, while nearly half say they carry less than $20. Right, we've got to take a break here in a minute. We have so much to cover. Uh, I do want to note that the Cosmos program is continuing to do some fine work. Um, the Cosmos 2, hosted by Neil deGrasse Tyson, is talking about a lot of wonderful topics. I noticed in the last one they went back to the Epic of Gilgamesh and explained how this was the basis for the biblical story of Noah. I think this, this led to a, a somewhat shaky segue about life being dispersed throughout the universe and going planet to planet. Uh, certainly plausible stuff, but... They were taking the, the possible and portraying it as, you know, the virtually certain. But I was struck by the fact that uh, they were talking about broadcasting and how the United States Army uh, bounced some radar signals off the moon in 1946. But uh, Tyson talked about how, of course, commercial radio and television stations have been broadcasting out into uh, deep space, well, for the last 80 or so years. 
We talked about Jack Benny a moment ago, and I think that his earliest programs from the 1930s are now being listened to by people, well, potentially being listened to by people 80 light years away, who presumably are also enjoying the comedy stylings of Amos and Andy. Now, Radio Parallax has been on the air here for, for 12 years, which means that out to a 12-year radius from the sun, they could be listening to what we've been talking about. But although we have not studied this in great detail, it does appear that, uh, well, I'm not sure there are any planets at all that could be within our listenership. I believe that the star Epsilon Eridani has a planet around it, but uh, I think it's a young star and a young planet, and prospects for life are rather dim. But I do want to note that it was very satisfying to watch Cosmos and its, its rich uh, tapestry of science being woven together with some, some wonderful stories about how some discoveries were made. But no sooner was the show off when I did some channel flipping and discovered one channel away, a Bible thumper, saying things like, well, there's one preacher I used to work with, and boy, he used to, when, when the Lord was moving with him, he would reach his hand out and say, I'm just going to grab one devil in one hand, and I'm going to grab a devil in the other hand, and I'm just going to crack their skulls together. And... Uh, and I, I'm just hoping that the double skull-cracking guy isn't getting the ratings that Cosmos is. That's all I got to say. But I flipped a few channels away, and there was a very carefully put-together program explaining the great fallacy, the great ridiculousness of Darwinism. According to the authorities being cited on this program, the thing about Darwin is it presents a very simple narrative about how the universe works that is very appealing to people. And this explains why it is they fall for it. And I had to think, yeah, that's, that's Darwin that's doing that, telling simple stories that people are falling for. Yeah. Also, a few channels away from Cosmos was a 1936 British movie, Things to Come, based on the writings of H.G. Wells. The movie more or less predicted World War II and a lot of the catastrophes that might befall humanity and ended off with them trying to launch a, um, a rocket. Well, in this case, it was being fired from a gun, which, which is not good physics, but uh, they wanted to fire a rocket off into space, and they were being challenged by a bunch of um, Luddites, as it were, here on Earth that thought this idea of going into space was a bad idea and just tear the thing down, which um, unfortunately segued pretty well with some of the things I was reading in... Uh, Charlie Pierce's book, Idiot America, which I think I'm going to have to tell you about in the next segment because we are overdue for a break. Let's take one. I'm Douglas Everett. You're listening to Radio Parallax. When we come back, we'll talk with Aggie Editor-in-Chief Elizabeth Orpina. Stick around. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. (laughs) 